Welcome to the Russian Rulers Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Schaus. Episode number seven, Ivan Moneybags, Simeon the Proud, and Ivan the Meek. Last episode, we discussed the murder of Grand Prince Yuri by Dmitri and Dmitri's cruel death at the hands of the Golden Horde. The Mongols were now in need of a strong ruler to work for them, someone who could fund their increasingly lavish lifestyle. They needed Ivan I, Yuri's younger brother, whom they named Grand Prince of Vladimir, the tax collector's title, in 1328. Ivan I was commonly known as Ivan Kalita, which roughly translates to Ivan Moneybags, and was an exceedingly talented Grand Prince who knew how to balance the accumulation of wealth, the enriching of his overlords the Golden Horde, and keeping the people under him happy. Keep the common folk happy, and you ease any pressure from within. Keep the Golden Horde happy with a steady stream of money, and you can amass personal wealth unabated. Add to it an excellent relationship with the all-powerful Orthodox Church, and you simply can't go wrong. Metropolitan Peter, who did not get along with either Grand Prince Michael or Dmitri, preferred Ivan's father Yuri, and he viewed Ivan as a dear friend. Together, they would they were to build numerous churches and monasteries. Ivan and Peter, together, built the first brick church and the first stone church, the Cathedral of the Assumption, a picture of which I've posted up on my website, markshouse.com. Countless other churches were built all over the city of Moscow, along with the surrounding area. Ivan made Moscow the center of the Russian Orthodox religious world, way before it became the political powerhouse it would be in the future. According to the grand Russian historian Kluchevsky, this relationship with the church, along with the location of Moscow, away from a number of marauding bands of raiders, as they were in the center of Russia, and the large influx of merchants and farmers, tired of the countless wars in other parts of the region, made Moscow grow in power. Add to all of this, the Metropolitanate would move from the city of Vladimir to Moscow in 1326, with Peter's successor, Theognostus, overseeing the move. The significance of this cannot be understated. By making Moscow the seat of the church, it was crucial in elevating Moscow as the most important city in all of Russia. Ivan also fortified the city by building a wall, or Kremlin, around it. In my childhood, the word Kremlin had an evil connotation surrounding it, as it was the seat of the power of the Soviet Union. In 1326, it was the wall that kept the perceived evil out. So how was Ivan Moneybags going to pull all this wealth gathering and distribution system off? This dilemma of raising enough money to keep everyone happy without aggravating a lot of people has perplexed rulers until present time. Spend too much and you bankrupt the country. Spend too little and many feel left out. Tax too little and you can't pay your bills. Tax too much and the people get angry. Ivan was a genius in this respect. He balanced taxation and generosity quite well. But what he did with all of this money was what set him apart from his contemporaries. He would loan money to his fellow princes with their land being collateral, basically a mortgage. When they failed to make loan repayments, 
he repossessed their lands. Sometimes force was needed to collect his money or his land, but he would always collect, as his repo man was the Golden Horde. Pretty soon the backwater town of Moscow would own a large chunk of the Russian countryside due to Ivan. His heritage was another benefit, as he was the grandson of the famous hero Alexander Nevsky. Much like his grandfather, Ivan was able to keep the horde at bay, but as luck would have it, an event would unfold that would lead to his gaining even more power. Novgorod and Tver began to rebel against the Mongols' yoke. At the time of the rebellion, Ivan was Grand Prince of Vladimir, but not Moscow. This role being fulfilled by Alexander, the late Dmitri's brother. Ivan seized on the opportunity of the revolts to volunteer to lead a combined Mongol and Moscovite army to devastate Tver. This made the Khan in Sarai change his mind and appoint Ivan, Veliki Knyaz, Grand Prince of Moscow. Now, Alexander was, pre was obviously not pleased, but he would die shortly thereafter in 1331, further strengthening the grip Ivan would have by removing a potential rival. Now, understand the Khans would regularly switch up who the Grand Prince of each city was going to be, just so there would be a little bit of tension, so they would be focused on fighting each other and not the Mongols. And this is why there was changes going on in Moscow. They didn't want anyone too strong. But many historians point to these events and accuse Ivan of being nothing less than an opportunist and being just plain lucky. Yeah, and so? Anyone who's ever heard or learned about Julius Caesar could say the same thing about him. Listen to the History of Rome podcasts on Caesar or follow the history according to Bob on the life of Caesar and you'll see how opportunistic and lucky he was. But with opportunism and luck, you need a smattering of genius to take advantage of the situation, and Ivan had it. Tver had been to this point the Khan's favorite, as his advisors were weary of Moscow's growing influence, but Tver had revolted, influenced in part by the Lithuanians, and this was something the Horde could just not stand for. They were forced to turn to Ivan, who took the job of attacking Tver with glee, and likely with the knowledge that this would advance his career. But still the Horde was wary, and wanted to make sure no Russian prince was too strong to stand up to them. But from the west came a threat that the Mongols were more concerned about, the independent Lithuanians led by Grand Duke Gediman. The Lithuanians were not subservient to the Horde, and were also not as schizophrenic in their behavior towards each other as the appanage system made the Russians. Grand Duke Gediman began to cajole many of the princes in Russia to come over to his side, which deeply concerned the Khan and his advisors. They needed a bulwark to protect their interests, and there was Ivan, who was more than happy to help his overlords for personal gain. The Mongols were forced to give more and more support to him, forcing minor princes to be subservient to Ivan, consolidating his power. Then Ivan once again pulled genius out of the bag to take greater advantage of this opportunity. He forbade the other princes for having any contact with the Golden Horde, which had gone on for hundreds of years. While this should have alarmed the Mongols, it didn't, as they were getting soft and needed Ivan Moneybag's tax collection skills to keep them awash in money 
and to keep them in their increasingly lavish lifestyles. This negligent behavior by the Mongols was to eventually lead to their downfall. Then there was pesky Novgorod, independent Novgorod with their democratic vetch system. Countless military clashes went on until in 1335, Ivan was able to make the city to the north capitulate and allow him to bring their city under his control. One chronicler of the time said that when Ivan visited Novgorod, he was hailed as the leader of all of the Russians. He was to use the title of Tsar for the first time, although it was not in official use for another 200 years. Ivan now began to think of his legacy and of the problem of inheritance. He looked back into Russia's past and noted the disastrous civil war after the death of Yaroslav the Wise and the many other problems of succession that had racked the countryside and its people. Ivan made his three sons, Simeon, Ivan, and Andrei, swear allegiance to each other, but more importantly, he had the Khan of the Golden Horde ratify his succession plan. Ivan and Andrei also had to pledge allegiance to the eldest son, Simeon, but that had been tried before and failed, so what could Ivan do to protect his hard-fought gains from evaporating in a civil war? While he followed in the old system of handing power and title of Grand Prince to the eldest son, he also had all three share equally in the wealth of Moscow. On top of that, the disposal of the family's property could not be done individually, as it was part of the overall wealth of the family. If any one part was diminished in any way, all family members' value would be diminished equally. This would make sure that each would have the same percentage of wealth, regardless of what happened. If the Mongols decided to take some of their holdings away, each of the family members would lose the same proportion of holdings as well. Ivan's concerns about inheritance were timely, as the Black Plague was wrecking havoc with the Russian population. So at the age of 50, in 1340 or 1341, date is in dispute, having served as the Grand Prince of Moscow for 15 years, Ivan Kalita died. He succeeded in stabilizing the country, protecting it from the ravages of the Mongols, and he consolidated power in Moscow, which was to eventually cause the Golden Horde to lose its grip on Russia. Simeon the Proud was to continue his father's ways with full cooperation from Ivan and Andre. He furthered the practice of loaning money to landholders and repossessing them when they couldn't pay and skimming money from the taxes paid to the hoard. And of course, he had to fend off the inevitable claims of Constantine of Suzdal and Constantine Tver for the Vladimir and Moscow principalities. But the use of bribes worked their magic on the Khan and Simeon retained his authority. He, like his father, claimed the title of Grand Prince of all Russia. Moscow continued to draw in more people, mainly farmers, leaving behind the unsafe region around Kiev, which was under threat from the Lithuanians. This was a battle against the Lithuanian menace that Simeon was to fight for all 12 years of his reign. He also completed five trips to Sarai to pay homage to the Khans of the Golden Horde. By keeping the peace with the Mongols, Simeon was able to keep the Lithuanians and also the Swedes at bay and deal with the troublesome Novgorodians and the Prince of Tver. What Simeon used to his advantage with his dealings with Novgorod was their need for grain. 
while exceedingly wealthy because of their active trade with their northern and western neighbors. It had very little arable land and was desperate for grain from their southern counterpart, Moscow. Even their trading partners, like Sweden, were in need of the grain that Moscow provided. In another policy that he carried on from his father, Simeon also courted the Russian Orthodox Church, whereas Ivan had Peter and Theognostus as trusted metropolitans who garnered his trust. Simeon had a close relationship with Metropolitan Alexei. Together they would repulse the challenge of the Lithuanian Orthodox priests from gaining influence over people in the old Kievian region. Alexei's biggest challenge, though, was an outbreak of the Black Plague, cutting short Simeon's life at the age of 36, and also killing his younger brother, Andrei, six weeks later. Alexei kept the people close to the church in their time of fear and despair. In Piskov, it is estimated that two-thirds of the population had died within two years after the plague was first reported. It also hit Novgorod and, as well, in Moscow, where it killed Metropolitan Theodnostos. The plague had hit Russia and present-day Ukraine in 1346, arriving in Moscow in 1353. In came Ivan II, also known to history as either Ivan the Meek or Ivan the Fair. He was thought of by his contemporaries as being an apathetic ruler who toyed with the idea of breaking from from the Mongol yoke and allying with the Lithuanians, but he abandoned that early on. Even with the continued tribute being paid to the Horde, the planning was going on to overthrow them. Ivan II was to get a lot of help from Metropolitan Alexei during his brief reign. There was something that would begin to happen during Ivan's reign that would change the course of Russian history. The Mongols were beginning to disintegrate from within. Much like the Russians continued internecine fighting, which weakened them drastically, so too the Mongols at this time. For a 20-year period between 1357 and 1377, there would be bloody battles for the position of Khan within the Golden Horde. Almost two dozen men would claim the title of Great Khan during this time. Russia was soon to be free of the Horde's influence, but not yet. They were still a formidable force. Alexei was to have even greater influence on Ivan's son, Dmitri, when Ivan II died only six years into his reign in 1359. Dmitri was only nine years old when his father died, so Metropolitan Alexei, who would be later canonized as Saint Alexei by the Orthodox Church, would serve as regent and tutor to young Dmitri until he came of age. His education from Alexei was to prove extraordinary, as Dmitri would become one of the great rulers of Russian history. Join me next week as we recount the life of Dmitri Donskoy, his son Vasily I and grandson Vasily II, along with the ouster of the Golden Horde. On another note, I'd like to thank two of my listeners for comments and corrections they've made. Alan, about his comments on the last podcast, where he mentioned that Prokofiev wrote the cantata Alexander Nevsky as incidental music for the Sergei Eisenstein movie of the same name, and to Tony for correcting an error in episode number four, and that I had the incorrect date for Genghis Khan's death. Yes, Tony, you were right. His death was in 1227 and not in 1229, 
which was the year his successor was named. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Don't forget to visit the website at russianrulers.podhoster.com and markshaus.com. That's M-A-R-K-S-C-H-A-U-S-S. Leave a comment, make a suggestion, ask a question, and as always, das vidanye, espisiba bolshoya.